good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I'm speaking to you from Southern California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you from Harlem, and it is about, I think, 40 degrees out. Uh, hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I am a senior editor at the Hyperallergic blog and a author of at least one book that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm coming to you from the South Bronx. Um, and I try to be a decent human being every day. Um, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of uh, what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. And I think I forgot to say that on the last episode, actually. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully we didn't lose, didn't lose anyone in the woods on that one. Mm. Um, so we are continuing or really getting into our conversation about community. Last week, we kind of went mm. over just had a kind of a, a wide ranging, sometimes abstract conversation about community, which <laughs> Seth thankfully tried to pull us back from some of our uh, more extended analogies. And today we're going to talk about aspirational communities, communities that we want to be a part of. And I think, po- I mean, is it also on the table communities we don't want to be a part of, or are we holding that for another podcast? Ooh, I like that. Let's maybe it's about timing. You know, maybe we'll have a really robust conversation about the aspirational ones, but I could do both. I'm good. Yeah. Or, or, or what might happen is, and I was thinking about this um, in between this podcast and the last one, is that in talking about my uh, my aspirational communities, I'm going to end up talking about the ones I don't want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and if yeah. I and if I may, with y'all's indulgence, I can get the ball rolling. And that part of the community Great. that I'm really aspirational to to join, and in some ways I have joined already, but mm-hmm. we'll mm-hmm. we'll see how this comes out in the wash is I want to be part of a middle-class community. I really do. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. That's wrapped up in not being part of what I talked about last week, not being part of this, not being a, a willing participant uh, uh, in the South Bronx community. Mm-hmm. Now, this comes again comes with a caveat in that I literally just had a conversation on Friday with someone in the Bronx, Bronx Council of the Arts because I'm serving as a panelist for their one of their um, funding rounds, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so I'm actually put, I actually do participate in the community as much as I mm-hmm. make noises about not liking it, mm-hmm. and I don't. I don't like this place because, and and I want to be clear with listeners, I don't like being here in the South Bronx because my schedule is odd. I'm in the office two times a week, generally. Um, and on the other days, I'm roaming around the city looking at art shows, um, mm-hmm. so doing lectures, giving lectures rather, doing studio visits, blah, blah, blah. So I'm oftentimes in this neighborhood running my errands uh, in the middle of the day. And I will see mm-hmm. people who are high, like high, like heroin high in the middle mm-hmm. of the day. And that bothers me. Right, mm-hmm. and, I, and there's people selling shit out, uh, outside now nah, near the um, subway entrance. You know, I've had my clothes stolen from the the laundry down the laundromat down mm-hmm. the street. Mm-hmm. That kind of those things are indications to me, and not just indications. They're the things that wear me down. Mm-hmm. When I say I want to be part of a middle class community, I mean I want to be part of a community where 
I go out. People and- are doing that stuff inside. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yes, no, yes, no, no. Yes, yes. No, that's that's part of it. No, that's yeah. definitely part of it. Keep right? like, it away yeah. they're, from me. They're right. They are living, but they are living their lives. No, but the, but it's come. It's a little more more complicated, right? In that they're mm-hmm. living their lives in such a way that they're actually showing a respect for the collective space that doesn't. That kind of respect isn't shown in my neighbor, my current neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a way in which. They believe yeah. that in terms of noise pollution. So they're not, no one's walking around as they do in my neighborhood, walking around with a big ass speaker playing crappy music. When did that come back? It's ridiculous. It is the Literally, radio on the shoulder. It is right the, kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, the boom box that they, yeah. But they're, you know, now they're, you know, smaller thing, more smaller devices, but there'll still be these fucking, these people who just drive me nuts who will literally have, a wire um, basket on wheels, and they will carry a big ass speaker in it, blasting like mm-hmm. bad R and B behind them. I, I just, I just, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. What I want is to live in a bourgeois space where the streets are well organized and tidy and clean, where people treat that collective space as if it is not an extension of their home, but is actually a shared space. So there mm-hmm. isn't that kind of noise pollution, that kind of visual pollution, tagging, that kind of... Um, that kind of um, sort of territoriality. Yeah, disheveled yeah. kind of um, public appearance. That's, I, that's what I want. That's what mm-hmm. I want because I feel like my temperament is such that I need a certain degree of, of that to feel organized and to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I may, I, I, I poked a little bit, but I actually do ultimately agree with you, Steph. I think there's actual value in treating a public space respectfully in that way and keeping mm-hmm. your shit indoors. Like, keep because we all have a mess, right? We've all got things that we do to cope. And some of those things are more and less destructive, you know, depending on maybe even a time in your life. But mm-hmm. in in a bougie middle class neighborhood, as you describe, it's that stuff is done behind closed doors, right? right? It's it's behind, you know, it's it, other people don't see that in the same way. Right. Um, I get that. I get. I mean, I mm-hmm. I get the the appeal and, and the desire uh, mm-hmm. to be a part of that. So, mm. Stephen, what about you? So the communities that I, I guess sort of some are more directly I'm, things I'm working on, other things are more, you know, lazy, you know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and I'll say the ones that I'm working to be a part of uh, the film community mm. as, a, as a practitioner, as opposed to someone who is helping to um, facilitate. So I'm the managing mm-hmm. director of Afro Sci, which is a film festival, our inaugural event is coming up in September huh. at the Schomburg Center 2020 and we really are giving a platform to filmmakers of African descent who focus on STEM. How have you never said this before? Right. Well, <laughs> what the They're I'm like very, a very complex culture maker. <laughs> so, <laughs> like so a spy. Um, god which damn. Is, which is like, which for is our listeners, we do have off we do, we do have off the book conversations, but I have literally never heard this from Steven. So, so, yeah. um, so new, please to me tell too. us about this. Yeah. So just very briefly, so the Afro Afro Sci Afro Science Afro Sci it focuses on filmmakers who focus on STEM, the hard sciences in their work, mm. or Afro Futurism or Sci Fi, 
And right now we're actually mm-hmm. we've we have a website, afrosci.com. That's A F R O S C I dot O R G. I hope you just put this up this morning, which is why you haven't mentioned this before, right? You just hit go on the GoDaddy site for you to launch your site. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, man. Uh, okay, so here's – I hope this – it doesn't feel like a defense, but it feels more like I talk about stuff when I feel like it's on its legs mm. because I'm a person who does a lot of different things. I throw a lot of stuff at the wall. Some of it doesn't work. And then mm. ye- past years – over the decades, I was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'll try and then, you know, fail. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, but then I really like being able to do things without always having to talk about it, uh, but that it's closer uh, okay. to it being done. Yeah. Mm, so right, I like that. Right. I like to see something germinate and develop before um, I show up with it on yeah. the plate. So I'm the managing director for that. And so working with filmmakers to um, get their films, check, look at their films, build, um, find money for it for the film festival, but also working with the Schomburg Center to work with their curators, the Junior Scholars Program, all these kinds of things. I'm I'm a decent facilitator. I, mm-hmm. I know that. And mm-hmm. I've been working on um, two films, but the one film I can speak of is the Black Theater Commons. It's a it's a film, a demonstration film that hopefully will be out within the next three months. And it basically helps folks who are theater practitioners, black theater practitioners, mm-hmm. owners, actors, and so forth, and professionals mm-hmm. who are trying to think about who will be inspired by or get some information about how to archive their material. And so it's a mm-hmm. five-minute film. We're just waiting on more funding so we can finish the sound and the voiceovers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. once that's done, I, I will consider myself a part of the film producing community. So that's one mm-hmm. community I like to be part of. Um, okay, nice. Rather than just someone who appreciates films, can critique films, and so forth. Or even, I was actually in a couple films, but that's later um, <laughs> to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, so I, so I, want, I, I want to interject for a second. This is a personal thing. So I, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to say, like, I, I am going to change the way that I talk to you now because I, sp- I, rem- I pay very close attention. I think, I think you both know that when you guys mm-hmm. talk. And, mm-hmm. And I remember when you were in the mix and you were editing the movie when you had the when you had the fellowship that yes, you were a yes, part of. The and third the course world newsreel, yes. And mm-hmm. then you just entirely stopped talking about making yes. movies. Yes. And I thought, oh, okay, I should ask Stephen about that. But you know what? Maybe it's a sensitive subject because sometimes he feels like he doesn't want to talk about stuff. Fuck that. So you've been making <laughs> like all these movies. You've been doing all this stuff. And I and I have been cautious about asking you about things when, in fact, you are actively involved in making and producing this stuff. And I don't. I'm not saying that there's you, that there's something wrong there. I'm criticizing oh, no, no. myself. So saying that like I should be less cautious about that stuff. So I, I can either confirm <laughs> or deny that I'm working on something right now. It. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that as a friend. Um, for me, sometimes I think um, I got really super sensitive about the first film I was working on because it mm. didn't like the um, visuals that much. I, I didn't shoot it, but I was editing it. I didn't care for it. And therefore, mm-hmm. I just kind of it kind of languished, and it was a sore spot for me because I had left the Schomburg Center to begin a career in film, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had all these enormous expectations of myself producing this major mm-hmm. film, or I had these ideas for mm-hmm. films, and then mm-hmm. just the short, I was having issues with editing it, you know, mm-hmm. both the technical part of it, but also with the story that I wanted mm-hmm. to tell. And it was very mm-hmm. frustrating and very painful at one point when I was sending out um, parts of it to people to critique. And they're like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? 
you know, I don't understand what you're doing or whatever. And I just wanted to crawl under the bed. I just wanted to like, mm. God damn, right? So mm. I think I, the air I put out was, <laughs> don't ask me about this film. And, you know, people were like, oh, mm. oh okay. And they would ask me about other things. And right. um, so I appreciate that. But I'm trying to be a grown up here. I don't have to get it on, mm. right on the first try. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. But mm-hmm. God damn it, I feel like I should. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. It's not a good feeling. It's hard starting, you know, talking about Astro. I mean, because we're kind of still on the you're trying to become a part of a few a filmmaking community. So, I mm-hmm. mean, we're sort of on topic here. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to become an aspirational member of a community as a male when you're like north of 30, north of 40. Mm-hmm. Like it it requires a certain amount of uh, patience and you got to really mm-hmm. put your pride away to, to yeah. do that because because we become parts of commun- aspirational communities when we're young, right? It's very, t- right. you know, in your teenager, in your mm-hmm. 20s, like it's very like, ah, I want to like hustle to be a part, you know, to be a part of these people that I admire. But mm-hmm. that settles down quite a bit and you have to actually swallow your oh, pride yeah. To, uh, as you get as I mean and I say the only reason I qualify the male thing is because I don't maybe women don't experience or mm. experience this in the same way maybe they do maybe it's just as hard uh, for them but when I think about you know sort of like the ways that you are supposed to be a middle-aged man in America and the things you are supposed to have figured out and the kind of status you are supposed to have had mm-hmm. or have rather I think it makes it particularly challenging to say like hey I, I'm I'm going to leave the Schoenberg and I'm going to go this do this totally new thing. Absolutely. Yeah, leaving a job at 24 is not whatever. Who cares? You know, at, at 44, 54, mm-hmm. that becomes tough. I'm sorry, Seth, please, please. Well, I, I want to jump in here with an anecdote that I think it summarizes, illustrates my feeling about being mm-hmm. humbled, trying mm-hmm. to become part of an intellectual community. Really what I was, mm-hmm. the basics. the basics of the story are, I went to London in 2006 to get a, to work on a PhD. I did not mm. get the PhD until 2015. When I was there, it was very, very difficult. I think I've said this before. Was, mm-hmm. I mean, I know I've said this to you to, before to you, Travis and Stephen, but I, I don't know if I've said it before on air. Mm-hmm. But it was incredibly difficult to get through that program, and I was deeply, mm. deeply poor. Part of the problem was that even though I took out the maximum loans I could, it, at the time the pound was so strong against the dollar mm-hmm. and essentially my the money that i borrowed was cut in half so by the time i got it got to me in in london it was mm-hmm. less than half of mm-hmm. what of what i would typically get mm-hmm. or would have gotten in american dollars so anyway i took a part time job i think i think the whole time i was there i was working part time except for maybe the first couple of months when i i didn't have to but i took a part time job working at armani collezioni on mm-hmm. Bond Street. And, I remember. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, this is something I could do. I've done retail for many years before that. I think five or six at that point. I'd worked for Armani. I'd worked for Hugo Boss, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I knew, how to, I knew how to do this. I should say I, I'd worked for those companies when I was in L.A., in L.A. and in Beverly Hills. Anyway, at some point, uh, uh, I was having a long conversation with a doctor, a Canadian doctor, I think he was, a surgeon. He did very specific kind of surgery. I think he worked on children with cancer, if I remember correctly. So mm-hmm. highly specialized. You know, mm-hmm. this guy had to be gifted, smart, la, la, la. And of course, you know, he was shopping at Armani Collezioni because you're compensated very well for that, those kinds sure. of skills, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we were having a conversation. At this point, so, so I must have been 
was I close to four? I think I was close to 40. I mean, I maybe I wasn't at 40 yet. I wasn't, I'm not sure. It was 2008. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm close around there. Having a conversation with him and saying basically, just I'm here in, in London trying to work on this PhD, you know, hoping that I get it. And he's like, and he said something to me like, oh, you know, you're young, you'll be fine, you'll get it done. And I was like, no, I'm actually like, I don't know, I was 38. And he just got quiet. Mm. He just got <laughs> quiet because, like, he was embarrassed. Right. Like, he didn't know what to say because the go-to move was would for him was, no, no, you're, you're fine. No, you're going to get it. Your life will yes. be fine. You know, yes. you'll be middle class in no time. You'll be like me. We'll be kind of on the mm. same page. You know, we'll be neighbors sort of thing. Like, See you at the pub. That, mm. Right, right, right. Exactly. Ex- exactly. Exactly. But when I said <laughs> no, like, I, I said that, I think, to be honest with myself as well as to be honest with him. Uh huh. He said, "No, I'm 38. I'm, you know." And he's like, "Oh, like he didn't say anything, but that was the that was the vibe. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. like I don't know how to tell you what to do. There's no shorthand. Yeah, there's no short. We don't have a cultural shorthand for. But you're also, yeah, cultural shorthand. Sorry. No, no, no. uh, That that's it. I mean, that's but that's what we're saying. I'm what is what I'm saying, and I think what we're saying about being humbled about being a middle-aged man, switching industries and trying to make a life. I mean, I've mm-hmm. managed to do it. I would, I've been, I've been yeah. lucky. I put a, a hell of a lot of work into it, but I've been kind of lucky too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm now 49, but like I have a, I like, I have a position at a respected mm-hmm, mm-hmm. art magazine. I have a book out. I am working on a book with you, Stephen, right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. There are things that I'm doing in my life that I can point mm-hmm. to and say, yeah, no, it's happening. The wheels are turning. But, you know, that 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 coming into a community at, at the ages we're at is, is super humbling. It's humbling. Mm-hmm. And the thing I wanted to talk with you about threading that needle, you know, mm-hmm. you feeling lucky, you're talented, right? You're fortunate. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of that, yes. but the fact yes. that we don't have a shorthand for this bothers me, but I'm not yeah. sure how. Like I was thinking about it, it's like, well, I'm sorry, you missed the boat. Is that what people are saying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you're not going to make it into the ship. You're right, going to be yeah. stuck oh. on this. Like I feel that, yeah. like so I have a hard time going through and parsing about which parts of people's advice that I want to use, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. that's interesting to me. No, that sounds like you're terrified of losing your position, your station, right. mm-hmm. and right. therefore you're telling me. There were friends of mine who love me to death who were, are you sure you have enough money in the bank? Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and I remember telling them, you know, the bones truth, you know, the honest truth about why I left. I wanted to do something else, and it was just terrifying for me for years to think about it. So mm-hmm. uh, doing it, has been um, liberating, anxiety-producing. Mm. There are mm. times when I'm somewhere and I'm standing in front of a group of people and I'm talking and I feel so comfortable. I'm like, I couldn't have done this if I were working at a regular job. And I need, mm. I, I'm need. i very pleased with that, do you know? But I always have to sort of turn down the noise on my own anxiety, but also mm. the noise on what people think is appropriate at a particular age. Mm-hmm. Do you know? There were two, mm-hmm. so the two friends of mine, very briefly, it's um, my friend Carla, my best friend Carla. We're 40, 40 years friends this year. Um, mm-hmm. And my friend Nikki, who I met in um, grad school in Atlanta, both of them were living with me. We were all living together at one point in New York, in, in, in where I live now, um, in a different mm-hmm. apartment. 
And I remember coming home and seeing Nikki reading the book, I think, Success at 60. And what tripped me out is that both Carla and Nikki are Tauruses. <laughs> They're both born in May. And they mm-hmm. both had um, books about being successful at a, an age that was beyond their ages. They were like in their 30s. Mm-hmm. But they were, but they, but what I came to read it as, I, I need to see other narratives around people who are making it at different ages because yes, this yes. particular script isn't working for me and doesn't right. work for mm-hmm. me. And both of them had masters. Carla had, has two masters, but they were still finding their way, you know, mm-hmm. in this economic system. But also they were both artists in a way, you know, as they mm-hmm. were both thinkers and also understood the script, but was like, this doesn't work. I need to right. read mm-hmm. something else and see something else. Right. And, yeah, it's just something to think about. That's one community that I plan to be a part of. Yeah, that I'm struggling to be part of. So, yeah. And it's the same for you, Travis, right? Like, you decided yeah. to be an academic pretty late in the game. Very late. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had done, you know, my master's at probably a roughly appropriate age to do it, late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly not on the fast track, but then did not uh, apply to PhD programs. I had Mm -hmm. um, my oldest son, Liam, and Mm -hmm. I don't mean that as a like, it's not the story of like, okay, I got to go get a nine to five, you know, selling encyclopedias job or something like that. Wow, what a um, reference. (laughs) (laughs) That's 1950s. I love it. You know, like the sort of the father that's, I think of like, you know, kind of, uh, those like those stories of like men in the fifties who have jobs yeah. that they don't really like to support their family. That's, That's not exactly sense, what I did. I don't want to make it some. I don't want to make it sound noble, uh-huh. but it definitely knocked me off. Right. Okay. I mean, I sort of. Um, I was flailing a bit. I didn't know, you know, I, I adjuncted for many years and you can, in, in Southern California, if you can adjunct in English, you can make decent money. Um, mm-hmm. if you're willing to teach a lot, that's not true in every field. It's not true in every, in every geography, but it is true here. Okay. Um, and, you know, did some other stuff around that and then, but finally decided that I wanted to go back and get the PhD at 38, mm-hmm. uh, 39. And, mm-hmm. um, and that, was humbling for mm-hmm. me, right? I, I was teaching classes, albeit, you know, um, intro, comp, that kind of thing, intro to literature. But, you know, sitting in a seminar room, being at least 10 years older than the people around me, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of people that were still younger than me, but not, you know, maybe not 10 years. But, um, and then, <laughs> but here's the thing, figuring out after having done that, right? I mean, I, I mm. blitzed through the PhD uh, mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. You know, I, I knocked, I finished in three years uh, for economic reasons, for familiar reasons, for like mental health, you know, pride reasons, mm-hmm. you know, partly mm-hmm. was part of it. Mm. And then decided I didn't want to go chase a tenure track job, decided that I couldn't do that, right? Wow, decided wow. that, so here, you know, so here I am, I went back, I did this thing, took this PhD. I still, if I'm being completely honest about it, I still don't know what that's going to look like for me. I don't know that okay. I'm going to look back at 65 and 70 and other than cognitive dissonance being the factor, look back and go, I'm really glad I did that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, cognitive dissonance, co- cognitive dissonance will convince you of just about anything. <laughs> but I mean, in a, mm-hmm. but I mean, in a, in a, yeah. in a really honest, self-reflective way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, at this point, I can't say that I regret doing it. I don't. Um, right. I don't know that I would be here doing the podcast. I don't know that I would have started the American Age. But 
failure happened. Like failure is a totally acceptable story in your 20s and 30s. Failure exactly. at 60 mm-hmm. is mm. a ba- it's a bad look. Mm. That's a bad look. But why is it a That's bad a look? Ch- Listen not accept it for what people well, say, but tell no, me no, more. No, no, I'm saying no, I'm saying practically it's a bad look like mm. job at Walmart bad look or like you know, I mean th- th- there there is there is something to be I I get and of course I agree with your your perspective on that because I did something similar mm-hmm. but I mean as far as like you know sort of moving in a new direction at an mm. older age at a middle age but you do have a finite amount of time right your your mind and your body is not going to work as well at 65 and 70 and 75 but, but I'm, please, please sorry, jump in I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you but I want to get at what I think is happening with Steven's face right now because <laughs> because I think I'm what, he, what if, if if I if I know Stephen G. Fullwood relatively well, I think what Stephen is contemplating, um, and feel free to interrupt me here, Stephen, is that the job at Walmart is a bad look only to certain people. Like it may be that the person who has the job at Walmart is doing precisely what he or she needs to do at that moment, sure. and they're okay sure. with it. I mean, what, what I think what, we're, what I'm getting at is that us here at this table, we have certain aspirations, intellectual, creative mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. aspirations. Economic. Yes, that, Economic, absolu- yes. that absolutely would make us feel like the job at Walmart would be a failure. Or, yeah, that's uh, fair. Would, would, that's, would, for me, would, that's true. Would yeah. be a sign of failure. And that's a part of, yes, absolutely. That's a part of kind of what was making my face try to figure out how to uh, how to frame this, which is mm. we're part of making that frame be ugly. We're right. part of making that frame unacceptable. We're part of making that frame shameful. So mm. how can we look at this differently? Mm. I don't want to look at people who work at places I don't want to work at as if they failed or as mm. if their station in life is somewhat less in some ways other than mine. Do you know what I mean? Like, I get it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel like a life lived is a life lived. And how we live it is always based upon these um, changing ideas. But one thing that we don't change in this culture Mm -hmm. is class. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I remember going somewhere once, and I was so embarrassed after I I heard myself. I was um, in it. I was at um, Macy's, and it was Mm -hmm. around Christmas time, and I was at a gift wrapping um, section. I'm having this gift wrap. I'm with my friend Rodney. Mm-hmm. And we're talking, whatever. Get to the counter, get the gift wrapped. And I was talking to my friend Rodney, and I said, "Yeah, I used to work at a uh, mailbox, etc. When I was in mm-hmm. um, grad school, but they mm-hmm. didn't tell me. They couldn't tell me anything because I knew I was getting my master's, and I was such and such. And I was going mm-hmm. on and on mm-hmm. about some some bullshit about me having mm. an education, you know, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't work at a mailbox, et cetera, today, that kind of thing. And I'm, later on, he looked at, he gave me such a look that mm-hmm. I had, it was like a slap. And I was got it. I was like going, I was going on and on in front of someone who's working at a gift wrapping place mm. about being, not, not doing that job anymore. Mm. What so, the fuck was I trying to prove? What was I yeah, saying so, to myself? So I, so of course I'm with you on that. I, I am. Yeah. Oh I, no, no. I didn't I, think that you weren't. I, yeah, but but I but I do want to I do want to complicate it a little bit, and I mm-hmm. do want to like must you know sort of mussy it up a little bit, which is that it's a different story if you 
are 70 and your social security has not is not taking care of you and you can barely pay rent mm-hmm. and you're having to go work at fill in the blank doesn't have to be Walmart 30 or 40 hours a week and mm-hmm, your back mm-hmm. is hurt and your feet are tired right and all of these other people that you knew growing up with and mm-hmm. that had similar capacities and similar uh, possibilities in front of them mm-hmm. are taking their summer river cruise in Europe or you know vacationing in Hawaii mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. saying that I'm saying I so we're talking about to try and bring it back to to aspirational communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, these aspirational communities require sacrifice to enter them, and the cost of that sacrifice and the wager for that sacrifice becomes geometrically greater as you get older. Mm. Not just by a handful of years, but the real you can bounce back from a twenty or thirty a failure at twenty or thirty, depending on the type of failure it is. Mm-hmm. There is nowhere to bounce to if you fail at 50 or 60. Bouncing is then you're dead. Like there is no, Mm. there's no arc. There's no room left in the story Mm. to tell some conclusion, some denouement that is actually, you know, sort of comforting for you. There's no air in that though. Like I think about the 50s and think about the death of a salesman and and, and the changing mm-hmm, industries mm-hmm. that we have and the, mm-hmm. and the context in which we think about class and the context in which we think about bouncing back, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're not they're not even playing fields by any mm-hmm. stretch. And so like so for example, I follow um the careers of what I call vagabond writers. Your mm-hmm. Charles Murkowski's, the bees. Mm-hmm. At one point, mm-hmm. you know, there were mm-hmm. other people involved. And I, I would watch, listen to what they were saying, you know, the writings or, you know, interviews with them. And there was something about a space where you could be that kind of person, mm-hmm. not have the job, you know, decide that you were going to turn your back on the, the 18 to, you know, you got to be done by this time in college and whatever. And they found something else. I don't get that in a lot of literature today, and I certainly don't get it when it comes to um, any kind of other cultural product like a movie or TV. We have to be able to imagine that what you just described was not a failure – but that it was a yeah, way. But, uh, but there was a way to think about it. You know, it was there was other ways to think about it. Do you know? I want to. I want to give you and or Seth the last word. The only thing I want to say is, you just mentioned Kerouac and Bukowski. What about like Charles Bukowski's friend Sam, who really wanted to be a poet but died in an old folks' home because no one ever gave a shit about his poetry? I just made that up, by the way. I don't know if he has a friend like <laughs> Sam, but but or the Jack Kerouac who like was had worked on a novel that he loved and peddled everywhere and no one cared about it and he gave up his job as a salesman and he died in some home no one gave a fuck about him I or ever cared that he had that he had a pen there's got to be dignity and there's got to be some other way to see that that's all i'm saying there's got to be other, I, I, as a, for us but not for them but that's that, that, that's exactly <laughs> what i was going to deacon blues deacon blues I'll, I'll let you guys finish Stop, i'll let you guys finish steely dan deacon <laughs> blues go ahead well i think yeah well maybe we need to carry on the discussion um over the next next oh, Oh, that's awesome. But but I'm but I'm on, kind of more on with Travis on this one in that mm-hmm. I think for Sam I think for the friend of Jack Kerouac who didn't get the notoriety because here's the thing about mm-hmm. Jack Kerouac even though he didn't have the split level um, house in right. wherever and he didn't have the the um, two car garage and he didn't have the four one k and he didn't have you know up, fill in the blank for the sort of aspirational bourgeois, or rather Mm -hmm. the trappings of bourgeois life in the U.S. 
he had his poetry. He had his writing. And he had the, he in some ways caught the voice of a generation. So when we talk about where, when he, where he walked in the circles he walked in, he was mm-hmm. venerated. He was feted. He was, okay, he okay. was, he was celebrated, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that means, and that may, means not only support for his emotional self, but that means a very particular kind of material existence, right? And for the guy who next to him who failed, right? The, none of those things are on the, on the, mm-hmm. are on the page. No, none of them, like mm-hmm. none of the, the the celebration, none of the notoriety, none of the sense of self accomplishment, n- none of it. So. Yeah, that's difficult. That's a real tra- I mean that is like a dark, no happy ending fiend like tragedy. Like that for, is For him, right? Yes. For him. Do we dare imagine that he might have some other narrative? Do we dare? Well, do we dare we to do. get in that space. We but do and we a- celebrate the people who write those stories. Right. That we've what heard I'm saying of. is that there <laughs> is so much more air in the room when we're thinking differently about that not being a failure story. The, the, the thing is, I mean, I know, so, so I'm with you. I clearly, I agree with you because I've made the decisions that I've made. But yeah, uh-huh. I, I don't know. I really, mm-hmm. that is not Me a neither. pose. Like I really, uh-huh. I think, you know, sort of the, the struggling aspirational artist who's, who's like sort of working towards greatness Mm-hmm. Um, and never gets into that community, never mm-hmm. makes it into the community to be recognized and feted, as Seth said. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know that we can properly imagine the abject failure that that is. Mm. I because don't... if we did, uh-huh. I think it takes, I think it potentially takes the imagination to such a dark place mm. that there is no, there is no recovery from that unless you are religious and believe in some kind of, you know, afterlife reward, which I know no one at this table believes. So. No, it's it's that dark place. Like, I really am holding that open because there's something that's tickling inside of my consciousness by saying that that's a story, not the story. That's it. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 All right. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's a good, I think that's a good end. Yeah. A story, not the story. Um, Seth and Steven, thank you as always for the conversation. Indeed. Awesome. Pick it up sauce. next week. Great. Take care.